Thank you for joining us for the Tucson Baptist Church podcast with Pastor Brent Armstrong. This podcast features the messages from the teaching and preaching ministry at our church. Tucson Baptist Church is located in Tucson, Arizona, and we are committed to loving God, growing together, and reaching our community. If you would like to learn more about our ministry, please visit TucsonBaptist.com. We pray that today's message is an encouragement to you. Thank you so much. Appreciate our ensemble ministering to us today. Ushers, if you'll help me and uh, you go ahead and make your way forward. And if you need a a handout this morning, you'd like to follow along with the message. And we'll be in the book of 1 John chapter number 1. So take your Bibles, go to 1 John chapter number 1. And as you do that, if you will... Take the notes, get out a pen, let's take some uh, uh, good notes this morning, be right there with the pastor as he's preaching, and try your very best to avoid uh, distractions, and uh, let's all learn something from God's Word this morning. Thank you so much, men, for your help, and just a a few moments after the message, we'll observe the Lord's Supper as a time that we do uh, four, five, or six times a year out of honor and respect to the command that Jesus told us, and that is, as often as you do it, do it in remembrance of me. And so we'll do that here right at the end of the message. First John chapter number one, as we continue in our series of messages, uh, as we preach uh, verse by verse, uh, word by word, and uh, where necessary, phrase by phrase, in uh, the book of 1 John. I read some time ago a story about a U.S. Navy vessel that was caught in a storm. And the first officer happened to be at the helm that night. And way out in the distance, he saw the light of a ship that seemed to be coming straight toward their ship. And he immediately called that other ship on the radio, and he said this, This is the first officer calling to inform you that you're on a collision course with us. You must change your heading. The ship radioed back, Negative, you change your course. Um, As we know, big ships, they can't swerve like a, a little small sports car. And the first officer replied, Urgently, you must move over, for this is a vessel of the United States Navy. The mysterious ship replied, I won't move. You must move. And this infuriated the first officer. He awakened the captain, and the captain said, I am the captain of a U.S. battleship. According to maritime law, I order you to divert your course. The voice came back over the radio. I am the watchman of a lighthouse. I cannot move. You must change your course. In verse number 5, John tells us, God is light And in him is no darkness at all. God is holy. God is true. And in him there is no sin. There is no error. Many of us are sailing in dark waters and we we may be saved. We may have had a moment where we said, I trust Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior. And that means that you have a relationship with God. But under my voice, whether through live stream or seated here in this auditorium this morning, there are many who have little fellowship. Fellowship has been broken because we have chosen to 
secure in our life a pathway that is filled with darkness. I ask you this morning, what keeps us in darkness? Sin. What keeps us from having intimacy with God? It is sin. What prevents the full power of the Holy Spirit flowing through you in your lives, controlling your thoughts and your actions? It is sin. And with this powerful thought this morning, I ask that you follow along as we read five verses this morning, beginning in verse number eight. And almost everyone this morning has heard verse number nine. And oftentimes verse nine is is single-handedly taken out of context and viewed as its own verse. This morning I wish to keep it in its context of how John meant it to be perceived. Follow along as we read, beginning at verse number 8 through chapter 2 and verse number 2. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and he is just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Verse number 10. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children, these things I write unto you, that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father. His name is Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Father, would you allow me to have clarity of thought, clarity of speech, And that nothing be said that would distract from this message, that would dishonor you or your word in any manner. And Father, would your Holy Spirit also have freedom to work. Freedom to work in the lives of those who have chosen to watch by live stream. Those who are here made the effort to be in church. That your Holy Spirit would be able to convict and encourage and help to strengthen That we might learn something this morning that would allow us to be able to take part of the Lord's Supper with a clean spirit and a clean life and a clean mind. Father, would you do a work that only can be done and wrought through that of your Holy Spirit. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray this prayer. Amen. God not only wants us to have a relationship, that is salvation, But God desperately desires that we have fellowship with him and intimacy with him. That our joy can be filled and and that we can be continually cleansed of our unrighteousness, of our unholiness. And that we might be able to live a life of holiness. Why are so many who claim to love Jesus going nowhere spiritually? And the answer is that little word sin and how we deal with it. And so this morning, I desire that we learn how to deal with our sin and, uh, and that we would stop denying that we're sinners and that we would stop rationalizing our sin. In this passage of Scripture, I see two shortcomings that John writes about. The first shortcoming is this. He says it. We deny our sin. We deny that we are a sinner. I have met Christians who said, I no longer am a sinner. We deny our sin. And John says, that's a problem. 
You see, denying sin is self-deception, and we see this in verse number 8. If we deny our sin, we we are deceived. The Bible says when we walk in the light of God's truth, we're open. We're honest with God and ourselves, and we continually examine ourselves in light of, of our sin, of our failings, and of our flaws. Not all believers walk in the light. Instead of honestly openly admitting their sins, they deny them and they, and, and, they, and they dance and walk in darkness. John begins verse 8 uh, with this little phrase, if we say, you, you'll see this same phrase in verse number 6 where he writes about those who are deceived as they walk in darkness and, and you'll see it again in verse number 10 where he describes the deception of rationalizing sin. He says, if we say that we have no sin, or, or, or that is the ability to sin. I hear some of you saying already this morning, you're saying, wait a minute, Pastor. We know that John is writing to Christians, to believers. What believer would ever say that he has no sin or the ability to sin? Oh, I can think of at least three types of believers, people who say they're Christians, who deny their ability to sin. The first group is this. There are some Christians who have bought the lie of false teachers. Now, very, very briefly, we have to understand the culture and context of who John was writing to and about. John was dealing with a false religion known as Gnosticism. It taught that man's spirit was pure and his body sinful. And therefore, real sin was an impossibility since man was inwardly good and perfect. May I just say, none of us are inwardly good and perfect this morning. Though Gnosticism as a religion has long since died, its errors are still seen in the philosophy of relativism today. Relativism states this, just because something is wrong for you does not mean it is wrong for me. In other words, there are no absolute truths. Light and darkness are figments of our imaginations. Good and evil are merely superstitions. Therefore, there is no sin. I ask you this morning, have we... Have we seen that even this week in our own country? There are those who say good is evil and evil is good. We're living in this right now. There are no absolute truths. May I just tell you the Bible is full of absolute truths. And no matter what this society may teach or try to teach you, may I just remind you that the word of God is replete with absolutes. Um, in teaching, uh, that this teaching is widespread throughout our culture. In fact, there, in the book, The Closing of the American Mind, the author Alan Bloom, he writes this, there's one thing a professor can be absolutely certain of. Almost every student entering the university believes or says he believes that truth is relative. God help us that that's what's going to take place in this generation and the next generation and succeeding generations. In Right From Wrong, Josh Medow writes, 70% of today's generation, both churched and non-churched youth, claim that absolute truth does not exist. That all truth is relative. Nothing can be known for certain except the things that you experience in your, uh, in your own life. In other words, they don't believe that anything can be uh, definitively defined as right or wrong. This is why teenagers shoot down their fellow students in cold blood. This is why abortion is available on demand. This is why violence is entertaining. 
People today do not know right from wrong. God help us. In fact, the only sin our modern culture recognizes is the sin of intolerance, judging others according to our personal beliefs. May I just say this morning, and and I do not want there to be any doubt about it, that Tucson Baptist Church and this pastor says this, sin is very real. And the fact is, evil is very real. It is present within all of us. Instead of being honest about it, we say it does not exist and thus deceive ourselves, proving that truth is not in us. And because of this widespread acceptance of relativism, a great many people say they love Jesus, they will even go to church, they will volunteer, but they never admit that they are sinners. The second group of people, speaking of Christians... Or there are some Christians who believe the root of sin has been eradicated within them. The root of sin has been eradicated within them. There are some very sincere believers who have concluded that the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit completely removes the root of sin from their lives. And they may even refer to John, 1 John 3 in verse number 9. It says, Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. Please come in a couple weeks. I will show you that your thinking is heretical when we actually do an in-depth study on this verse. There was a man who approached D.L. Moody. Many of us who have been saved for any length of time understand that D.L. Moody was a great evangelist from yesteryear in the Chicago area. And and a a, a well-meaning man came up to D.L. Moody after one of his sermons and stated that he had progressed in holiness to the point where he no longer sinned. Wouldn't that be awesome? D.L. Moody looked at him and said, thank you. He said, may I speak with your wife? Number three, there are some Christians that we may have met who believe that they have so mastered the flesh that they cannot sin. I just want to remind you that the Bible, being replete with absolute truth, says this. Walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So it is still very probable that if we are not walking in the Spirit, we're fulfilling the lust of the flesh. And if we have a relationship with God and we diligently pursue fellowship with God by walking in the light, if we listen carefully to the voice of the Holy Spirit, we can go for lengths of time without sin and praise the Lord for all all of those who are able to do it. However, we must never say we have no sin, for the root of sin is still within us. We were born with a sinful nature. We must never say We have no sin. Even the great Apostle Paul, which is credited with writing many books of the New Testament, said in Romans 7 and verse number 19, For the good that I would do, and uh, for the good that I would, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. There was a pastor who was out visiting his members, his flock, and he came up upon a young boy who was uh, trying to sell his lawnmower. The pastor uh, uh, wanting to help the, the, the young boy. Uh, he said, how much do you want for that mower, young, young, young lad? And, and, um, and the boy said, just enough to buy a bicycle. And the lad, uh, uh, the lad uh, heard the pastor say, hey, would you take $20 for your lawnmower? And after a moment of consideration, the young boy said, mister, you've got a deal. 
And so the pastor, he, he began to pull on the crank to, to start the mower, and, and it wouldn't start. The little boy said to him, uh, I forgot to tell you, you've got to cuss at this mower to get it started. And uh, the pastor said, son, I've been a Christian for 40 years and a pastor for 30 years, uh, and I've never, ever uh, said a cuss word in, those, in, in all of those years. And so he went about trying to start the mower. The boy said this, Pastor, you keep pulling on that rope, and it'll all come back to you. <laughs> I tell you that we all have a sinful nature. We all have the propensity to sin. In this life, we will never be fully removed from the power of sin. So, we get to verse number 9. If you've been sleeping or your mind's been drifting and you've been wondering and you say, well, I know I'm a sinner, I don't need to listen, I want everyone to please give careful attention to verse number 9. It's one of the greatest verses in all of the Word of God. But it's often misrepresented. I want to explain to you what this verse actually means. And here's what the Bible says. Confessing sin brings about cleansing. Confessing sin brings about cleansing. How do we stop this self-deception? How do we grasp this truth? How do we come to walk in the light? John says in verse number nine that we must confess our sins. So what in the world does that word mean? Confess. Confession does not mean to ask forgiveness. May I just give you something that'll just that'll just make your heart race, that'll make your adrenaline go up, that'll make you want to clap? May I just tell you this? Christ's atoning work on the cross provided all forgiveness for our sins, past, present, and future. You've already been forgiven of your sin. Hallelujah this morning. But confession is this. It is to see our sins honestly. Fess. We have to fess up. Uh, that word con means with. So confess it then means to say with. To say with God or to agree with God concerning our sin. Note that we're not to confess sin in general. We are to confess our sin. It's easy to agree, to agree with God about someone else's sins, but difficult to agree with him about our own sin. The Bible says here we should not say, Lord, if I sin today, but Lord, I did sin today. And when I da 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 did this, uh, confession is the opposite of denial. What happens when we confess our sins? Did you read that uh, as we were going through this? John tells us that God is faithful. God is just to forgive us of those sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So what does it mean? God is faithful to his promises. God is faithful to his nature. He is just in that he does not merely overlook our sin. Jesus had to pay for our sin. Thankfully, he did that. Forgiveness is what Jesus brought uh, to us on the cross. He is our propitiation, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But forgiveness deals with the debt that Jesus already paid. Cleansing refers to removing stain. Cleansing refers to removing the, the tent of that, that stain. Oh, a couple years ago, my wife uh, uh, bought me a, a new uh, long sleeve white T-shirt. It was uh, uh, a white uh, dress shirt. Excuse me. It was uh, it was one of those uh, heavy cotton um, uh, woven really tight. It was a great white shirt. 
I had only worn it once or twice when I put my pen in my pocket and I forgot to put the cap on. I didn't know it, but, uh, but as each minute went by, that stain began to grow. Can anyone relate to that ever happening? So I had this blue or... Oh, thank you, Pastor David. Uh, I had this stain right there where, uh, where the, uh, the pen was in my pocket. Oh, she washed it. She scrubbed it. And she could not get the stain. Oh, it, it, got, it, it got a little fainter, but she could not get the stain out of that T-shirt. Time out. Please do not tell Shelly and I how to get stains out of clothes. I know that the, the, uh, I know we're going to get all kinds of recommendations. Now, if you use this or you use that, we could uh, you could get it stained out. Uh, today, it's in the back of the closet, and so whenever I wear a sweater, I'll wear that shirt. So if I'm wearing a sweater, I'm wearing the stained shirt. Okay, so it's all good. Um, I tell you that illustration for this. Don't miss this. May I share a great truth with you this morning? God will never, God won't allow a sin stain to put you in the back of the closet. To have to be covered up later. You know when he says he's going to cleanse, he's going to make it as if it didn't happen. As white as snow. Restored. Completely taken care of. All of us have been stained by our sins. So don't, uh, so, so let's stop denying the stains and let's let Jesus cleanse them. Jesus wants to cleanse all of our sins. Oh, I'm so thankful for the cleansing power and blood of the Lord Jesus Christ this morning. Quickly, shortcoming number two that I see in the passage of this scripture that we read this morning is that we rationalize our sin. We rationalize our sin. Some time ago, the Associated Press reported that Clifford Kurt, he was the president of the South Carolina Better Business Bureau, he was doing some research for a speech uh, uh, on ethics in the marketplace. And he discovered that the library's only book on business ethics had been stolen. I'm sure someone just borrowed it and forgot to take it back. We all have a penchant for rationalizing our sin. How do we do that? Well, we have many excuses for our sins. This should hit home to everyone who is listening this morning. Rationalizing sin is the most common failure in the Christian experience. Verse number 6 says we see a person who doesn't like what God's light reveals, so he stays away from it. In verse number 8, we see the guy who says he doesn't need God's light because he believes uh, there is really no darkness in him at all. Here in verse number 10, a person says, if we say that we've not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Of course I know uh, I can sin, but I simply, I, I simply don't sin. I'm not perfect. I have my failures, but I really haven't sinned. We rationalize and we make excuses. May I just say rationalization is an evasion uh, of reality. The ability to clothe wrong so that it looks right and evil so that it looks good. May I remind you of a verse that I referred to in the last couple of weeks in Isaiah chapter 5 and verse 20. A great verse to memorize. Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil. Woe unto them. I'm saying, oh yes, we can say that applies to Washington, D.C. That applies to the state house in Arizona. But, but folks, we don't live there. We live here in Tucson. Woe unto those in Tucson who call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light 
and light for darkness. Oh, we rationalize our sin by substituting other less offensive words. What the Bible calls sins, hey, we describe as weakness, frailty, addiction, a, a, a genetic disorder. In other words, we see prejudices, but we, uh, 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 but we have convictions. Uh, others have conceit. We, we, we have confidence. Others are lazy. We're busy. Others can't control their temper. We show righteous indignation. Church members get angry. Pastors become grieved in their spirits. May I just say you could put hydrochloric acid in a 7-Up bottle, but it doesn't change the reality. Folks, we are sinners, and we're in need of Jesus Christ. We rationalize our sin with feeble excuses. We blame stress when we're irritable and short tempered and impatient. Fatigue makes us speak roughly and, and we think, I would be a better husband if I had a better wife. Or I would be a better pastor if it weren't for my people. And we say, my kids drive me nuts. That's why I yell at them. And I am the way, because of, I am the way that I am because of my parents. If you knew what my ex did to me, you would understand the way I am. We are always making excuses. Folks, it's time that we stop making excuses and we just acknowledge I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. In effect, we say that the problem is not with us, but our circumstances. We say, I've not sinned. Others have sinned against me. We say, it's not my fault. I can't help it. Uh, uh, this is not sin. It's just the way I am. John tells us that this attitude that we are saying to God Almighty, you are a liar. Can any of us look at God and say, you're a liar? I'd be very careful to have that attitude. We're not shifting the blame to anyone but God. God's the one who controls our experience, uh, circumstances. If we say that it's not our fault, we're saying that God's at fault. That he is a liar. When he says he is the light and in him is no darkness at all. We can't have it both ways, folks. Either we are sinful people or God is a sinful God. It's only one of those two choices. We, in verse number one of chapter two, we have an advocate, though, for our sins. We have to acknowledge I'm a sinner, but may I just tell you, there's a way out. We have an advocate. John says, my little children... That's children of the faith, addressed to fellow believers. My little children, these things I write unto you that ye sin not. John wants us to understand these things so that we will not walk in darkness, but that we will be willing to walk in the light. However, if any man sin, when sin inevitably creeps, creeps in, may I just tell you, John gives us the answer. He says, hey, guess what? You have an advocate. You have a lawyer. You have a, a, a person that's going to come as a parakletos in the Greek language, meaning to come alongside to help, to mediate, to be an intercessor for you. And his name is Jesus Christ. Your sin put him on the cross. Now you sin again, and he still loves you so much. He says, wait a second. Let me advocate on your behalf before the Heavenly Father. That is a profound love for you and I. Advocate is the defender before the Father. Revelation 12 and verse 10 speaks of Satan as the accuser of our brethren and that he's cast down, which has accused them before our God day and night. There's someone that's always making you look bad in front of God, but I'm so thankful there's one that's saying, well, now, Heavenly Father, wait a second. 
Yes, they sin. They've confessed that sin. My blood paid for that sin. Let's restore that relationship. Satan accuses. Jesus defends. He, here's our problem. We already have a perfect advocate with the Father who readily defends us. However, his defense uh, will not help us as long as we're trying to defend ourselves. There can only be one advocate on the case. Only one. And his name is Jesus Christ. As long as we're defiant and evasive, still trying to rationalize and make excuses for our sins, we have no fellowship with God. It's broken. You have relationship but you do not have fellowship. One commentator wrote, I've thought about this several times this week. The blood of Jesus Christ cannot cleanse excuses. It only cleanses sins. There's a lot of people that make excuses for their failures and their shortcomings that are best known and described as sin. And finally this morning... There's a word that none of us have used this week unless we actually uh, were, were reading the Word of God. We have a propitiation for our sins. We see this in verse number 2. John wants us to always remember that Jesus is the propitiation. Propitiation means atonement, the appeasement, uh, the atoning sacrifice. And in verse number 9 of chapter 1, it says God is faithful and just. God cannot merely overlook our sin. Justice requires that someone pay. John gently reminds us that someone has paid for our sins in full, and his name is Jesus Christ. In 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 21, For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. When the enemy accuses me before the Father, uh, Jesus says this to my heavenly Father, Brent belongs to me. Yes, he sinned, but I've already paid for every one of his sins on the cross. That's an overwhelming thought. That the one who died for me is still defending me before my heavenly Father. Not only did Jesus pay for my sins, but he paid for the sins of the whole world. And everyone is a sinner, alienated from God. However, anyone who believes can receive Jesus' payment for his or her sin. In South America, there's a tribe in the Amazon that has a, has, has a, a I'm trying to think of the word. They have a tradition, if we put it that way. And uh, as I uh, love reading just about history and love reading about things that go on in the rest of the world, I, I thought of this story uh, that, uh, that if a son loses a significant portion of his father's inheritance, the whole village is known to respond in absolute disgust. What happens is they, the, the tradition says that they take clay vases that are filled with stones and they go to, the, to this son's home and they call him out of his hut and one by one, the villagers, they shatter their clay pots on the ground before him with all of the stones falling on the ground. And symbolically, they are saying this, you broke the trust of the father who gave you your inheritance. Now we break our relationship with you. And then they turn their backs on that foolish son and they never speak to that son again. May I say quite the opposite is the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the advocate. He's the propitiation. He's the appeasement. He is the self-atoning sacrifice. And he never 
turns his back on us. In just a moment, we're going to observe what is referred to as the Lord's Supper. And here at Tucson Baptist Church, uh, whenever we observe the Lord's Supper, it is an act of remembrance of what Jesus Christ has done. He taught the Lord's Supper to the disciples and said that after I'm gone, I want you to remember my death, my burial, my resurrection. I want you to remember the shed blood that you're about to see. The disciples did not understand what was about to happen. The Apostle Paul wrote about this. In fact, the church was violating um, the significance of the Lord's Supper. The Apostle Paul said, you are profaning the table. In fact, there's some people that have literally died in the church because you made a mockery of the Lord's table. And so he wrote a very detailed example, instruction for us. Let me share with you what that is. He says, but let a man examine himself. What did he mean? To see if he's in the faith or not. To see that he's a believer. And then he gives us the example that we are to come with him with a pure heart, pure mind, pure life. That doesn't mean that we're perfect, but that we have confessed our sins. 